You have been made with a specific purpose and with specific gifts to accomplish your mission. This is Requip, and I am Scott Schneiderman. Stay tuned to gain insights that will help you be more successful in doing the work of ministry. I'm excited to be with you again this week, and that means that you've made it back, and that's very encouraging. What we've been going through is Renew's discipleship curriculum that you can download for free. It's all online, re-quip.org, requip.org. Go to resources, download it for free. But this is part two of that curriculum, and we're trying to distinguish and trying to find out what did God create. The first part, we talked about who is God, because that's one of the most important questions we can have about God is what do we think when we think about God? The next thing is so important as well this week, what did God create? This this might sound like a no-brainer, but no, we're going to go into some deep things. We're going to get into some things, but it's also going to be understandable. It's going to be some basic things also that can really help you. And the point is that this is a progression. This is a process. We are building upon one lesson on another to help us grow. We want to grow closer. You know, we want to grow individually. We also want to grow corporately as a group. So you should be going through this with a small group. And I highly encourage you to do that. And so glad that you've just come alongside because this is going to be an amazing time. And we're just continuing to walk through what it means to be a disciple and then also walk through the process of being a disciple. Jesus told us to make disciples, teaching them to obey everything God commanded, everything he commanded. So now we're going through some of the things that he commanded because we want to learn those things so we can be the disciples. And then ultimately, God says we're meant to make disciples ourselves. So you need to pass this on. So we want to get you there and we want to come alongside to do that. So I want to start off looking at the big picture. First of all, God is the creator of the realities that exist. We must see God properly to understand what realities exist. We're going to talk a little bit more about what that means, realities. By realities, we mean all things that exist. This is a key understanding that the physical world is not all that exists. So the physical world is a reality. That's the term that we're talking about here. But there's also other parts other than the physical world, other than the physical material world. There's also the immaterial world. That's a reality that really exists. So some of the immaterial realities that can be known in the physical universe are things like objective moral truths. This isn't a tangible thing you can hold on to. It's also laws of logic, laws of nature, mathematical truths, and etc. There's even more than that. You know, what's the physical component? What's the element for the molecule love? We don't have that, but we know it's a reality that truly exists. It's not just in our mind. This love is a real thing, just like some of the other things we're talking about. The immaterial world is observed by its effect. But much of what is known is through what we talked about last time, it's special revelation. 
And, and so if you didn't catch that, go back and get that. We're going to spend a good bit of time on the creation of the world because, you know, it's at this point where the uncreated, immaterial God brought into existence the material world. And of course, we're talking about what did God create, his creation. You know, what's interesting since the Bible doesn't talk about the age of the earth, you can deduce that, you can, you can find that out, you can um, study that out, but it really doesn't tell us the age of the earth. So, since there's not much there mentioned in the Bible, we're not going to make that a focus of the study because God doesn't make it a focus. So I think it's, it's important to know some of the material out there, know some ideas, but it's not a focus of following Jesus. So we're not going to spend a tremendous amount of time and we're not specifically going to try to guess at what the age of the earth is. So I want to move into key takeaways. What has God created? So look up the following scriptures and I want you to read that. Maybe you can read this as a group. So the, the first one is heaven. God created heaven. Heaven is a real place. It's not just an idea. Most people, most things when we think about it, we think about this as a place where the pure, unfiltered relationship with God, the existence of heaven, is not controversial. You could bring up heaven with almost anybody, whatever their background, not controversial. Most people won't get upset about that. It won't kind of draw into question at all because most people believe it. People now, they will differ on how to get to heaven and what is the focus in heaven. The next thing is hell. The Bible, Jesus, talk about hell a lot. It's interesting, this is kind of omitted from a lot of our, our cultural understanding. And even more and more Christians, which is why it's so important to talk about it, more and more Christians don't believe that hell is a real, literal place. So I want you to read some of these scriptures that we have here in the curriculum. Matthew 25, 41, Matthew 25, 46, 2 Thessalonians 1, 9. And of course, there's many more than that. That's just a few to just get you the idea that hell, you know, hell has never been a popular topic. We know that. But God wants us to know that it's a real place where people really will spend eternity. The topic of hell is so important in Jesus's ministry. Jesus was recorded to mentioning the word hell or referring to hell 12 times. Jesus also used the term outer darkness and refers to hell in three times. The term outer darkness is shown that hell is a separation from the presence of God. And so that's so important. You know, even here on this earth in the physical universe, which is the next thing we're going to talk about, the physical universe that God created, we have God's presence to some degree here in this world, this physical universe that we live currently. But hell is a place where God's presence won't be at all, where we can really see evil in a terrible, terrible way. That's why it's important. God, you know, it's God's desire. He doesn't want anybody to go there. Where the scripture tells us that God didn't even create hell for people. He created it for the demons that rebelled against him. And hell now is a place where we freely choose to go. We want to talk about free will, 
Free will is, is us willingly turning away from God. So I want to talk about now the physical universe. The physical universe is another area that God created. Someone who thinks the physical world is all, you know, that, man, this is all that exists. That's somebody that's called a materialist. And within the physical universe, this is all that is revealed. But I, I want to tell you, you know, it's interesting. They, there are some transcendent immaterial realities. Transcendent meaning it goes beyond all these different realities that we've talked about that God has actually created. So you get a sense of the immaterial even in the physical world. And this is so important to get. There's a false notion that only the material world exists. You know, I had a discussion once with somebody. They didn't believe in God. And, and that's one of my fa- those are my favorite discussions to really, and I mean an honest discussion where someone is discussing back and forth and really getting a sense of what they believe and, and what they think is true. And I asked them, well, you know, um, you know, why don't you believe in God? Like, can, just I'm just curious, what are your reasons for that? And he said, well, I believe in science. <laughs> you know, after all, science has proved that there is no God in the spiritual world. We have never run into objections. You know, maybe that's true for you. Maybe you've never run into this objection before, but possibly it's because you don't ask those types of questions. But, you know, there's a, there's a false idea that science, air quotes, science has disproved God. Or even that science conflicts with God. You know, it's important to know that science doesn't say anything. Only scientists do. Science doesn't say anything, only scientists do. Rather, science assumes immaterial realities such as we're going to list below. These are some of the things that science actually has to assume. So if somebody says, no, man, only physical thing, only the things I can touch, see, taste, hear, you know, only those things are true and real. Everything else is kind of like in your imagination. But it's interesting that science actually assumes it has to have these other immaterial realities that we've talked about that are transcendent, that go beyond just, you know, like heaven or hell. But it it transcends and comes into the physical world. The first one is the laws of logic. Logic exists in the material world and the immaterial world. So you should never believe the lie that God's want, God wants us to put you know, these blinders on, to forget everything we know about logic. And frankly, that's impossible because we were created in the image of God. And that means we use logic just like God does. That's just how things work. So we were reasoning and the rule of non-contradiction is not something just for the secular world. You know, that's not just for academia or science, but it's just how God made the world. And the next thing is that it has the laws of nature. The law of nature are, are seen in the regularity of how things happen over and over and over again. This is what we also see is uniformity. We, we observe, you know, the natural world, the Sun goes down and it comes up. We know it's really rotating around the world, but it's this regularity. It's this consistency. The natural laws follow a pattern. 
in the regular, which points to a mind who actually created it. Some of these laws are living things and they grow and everything in nature wears down eventually. And that gravity actually exists. Like these are immaterial, these things you can't hold and touch, but they're truths that exist. And actually science has to use these things because that's the way that God created the world. The next thing is the laws of mathematics. The truth and precision of math is very real, but it's immaterial, right? It's not something you can hold and touch. Addition, subtraction, division, etc. exist in all realms of reality. They would even exist in heaven or hell and anywhere. You know, God will be able to count the people there. They'll be able to measure the dimensions of heaven. They still exist in the immaterial world. This is one of those uh, constraints that, that I did about, you know, and I understand about creation. And this didn't just come from creation. You see that? You see how important that is? That God must have created this. This came beyond the creation. And it shows the very mind of God. Therefore, all God's creation, whether physical or spiritual, operate in mathematic realities. Isn't that so awesome? The next point is that there's laws of morality. The fact that all things are regular in the universe, it all points to the existence of creator we talked about. Just as we talked about, the Bible reveals God as the only creator. So it makes sense that the universe would have his fingerprints all over it. So I want to say something about morality now. God allows evil, but he didn't create evil. We're talking about what did God create. Now we're going to talk about right here what God did not create. One of the most difficult things to understand is why God would allow evil and suffering in the world. You know, and I get this question all the time from people, and it's almost presented like a gotcha question. Like, and it's also like, oh, somebody that follows Jesus has never thought of this. Of course we've thought of this. This is a very difficult thing to not just logically understand, but just to feel in our heart. Like, we see evil. We see suffering. We see tragedy and unjust. We see all these things that happen. And it's okay to acknowledge it. Like God's not afraid for us to acknowledge that evil really exists in the world. We know that. That's why we need Jesus. We, we even see the evil within our own heart. The things that we want to do that we shouldn't do. The things that uh, drive us and, and sometimes skew our even good motives. We ended up messing things up even when we started out wanting to do the right thing. God certainly could stop all evil if he wanted to. He could, he could do it right now. Like, we know that. He could stop all the evil right now. What if he started before you and I found grace? Before you and I had the mercy of God? What if he started before then? What if God started with the evil that we have done? Or maybe God's allowing evil somehow, this is beyond our understanding, but God is even allowing evil to exist to bring every person that would to come into a relationship with him. Because man, I'll be honest, sometimes it's the hard things in life 
that get us to think this world, this life, this, this can't be all that there is. There's got to be something more. And sometimes it's the evil that exists that God didn't create, but for whatever reason he allows. But sometimes it's the evil that even drives us to God, that we see there must be something good. There must be something pure out, that, out there. We'll hear the idea that since evil exists, there is no way that an all-powerful, all-loving God could exist. Many people, you know, have fallen away from the faith. They usually go back to this topic and say, I just can't believe in a God that would allow all this type of evil and suffering in the world. The truth is that there's nothing illogical about evil and God coexisting. That's not illogical. We're going to talk about that a little bit. It's not illogical. Just as the shadow is the absence of light or rust is the privation of metal on a car. The only reason we can recognize something as evil is because we know there's something that is really good, something that is pure. Not our opinion, but we know that there's God out there that is the source of all that is good. The objective standard is known as moral laws or moral absolutes because we can see that differentiate between what is good and evil. Because that line does exist, we know there must be something. And we can always say, no, nah, I think the line is here or there. But if we can point to anything that's better or anything that's worse, and not just your opinion, objectively better or worse, then we're affirming God created these moral realities. Since evil and God both exist, God must have a morally sufficient reason for allowing it, right? We're usually left with this option that since God exists or since evil exists, either God must be all-powerful but not all-loving, or he's all-loving, but he just doesn't have the power to stop everything. But the truth is, there's a third option. There's an option that God is all-loving, he's all-powerful, and he's allowing evil because he has some greater good that we can't see, that we trust that he can bring about. Just like the evil he let remain in our hearts, without wiping us out as soon as we had an evil thought or, or motive or action, that God let us live a little bit longer, that we could receive that free gift of salvation. So we know these things can exist and they coexist together. One of the kind of evil is known as moral evil. This is where humans make choices to do things wrong against people. And this, you know, this is most of the things that we see. And this is where we get the famous passage in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, when Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers because they were jealous of him. And listen to what he says after God brought something great out of it that wasn't just good for Joseph, but it was also good for the whole people of God. In the words of Joseph, listen to what he says, what you meant for evil against me, but God meant it for good. And the second kind of evil is known as natural evil. Natural evil is when there's suffering and death that comes about where it's sort of these natural events. 
It's not where a person is directly involved with things. Sometimes we even call these things, and even our insurance companies call this an act of God. When a tree falls on a house, when there's hail damage, you, you know, there's these things that seem to come from nature. What's interesting is that um, Jesus was even asked this question about something that seemed random, like why would God even allow this? And Jesus actually addressed this, which is interesting. In Luke chapter 13, verse 4, and he answered this in a way that you never probably would have expected if you haven't read this. And it, apparently what had happened was there was a tower that they were building, and it was actually a tower. They were doing something good. They were trying to build um, something that was using their ingenuity, and it was not necessarily something bad. But something happened, the construction didn't work out, and it collapsed. And actually eight people died. And these people came up and asked Jesus, okay, what about this? What's going on with this? Where these eight people died doing something that was actually good. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus replied, Or those eight who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? Amazing. Jesus actually acknowledged the tragedy, but he simply used it as an opportunity to call them to repent. So even Jesus wasn't trying to give an answer for every single thing that was there, but he used that to point people to God. He used that to say, your time is short. You don't know when you're going to die. And maybe if you're listening to this right now, you don't know when you're going to, you, you could be in a car wreck. You could, um, you could get a disease. You could get cancer. There's so many things we just don't control. But as Jesus would say, and I'm going to say to you, turn to God. Put your trust in Jesus. Now is the time to do that. I want to move on now to key takeaways. Just quickly go through the creation narrative. In the beginning, God. And that's some of the most important language in the entire Bible, that God is bigger than us. God is bigger than all creation. Creation just reflects something about God. It doesn't define God. And actually, God defines creation and not the other way around. On the first day, God created light. And he named it light and darkness. And this is starting in Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to run through this. The second day, God created the expanses of the water, the heavens, which is like the sky and the atmosphere. The third day, God created dry ground. And really, it became visible and then vegetation. The fourth day, God created the sun, the moon, the stars, and he, and he defined it, and then he created that. The fifth day, God created air and sea and life, produced according to their own kind. Isn't that amazing that God created things to replicate themselves? We're going to talk about this more, but that's what it is to be a disciple. The things that you've been given, you're supposed to give out. You're supposed to replicate yourself. If you've been remade, you're supposed to replicate the things that God has put in you to do that in someone else. On the sixth day, this is where God created mankind. In the seventh day, God rested from his creation. And then in Genesis uh, 1 and 2, it talks about the creation of mankind. It goes into a little bit more detail. So the first part was just sort of listing out how things happen each day, the first seven days of the creation and then it talks more specifically about what he created. 
So mankind was created. So what is mankind? What does that mean? What did God create? He created male and female. That tells us a lot. There's a lot you can discuss in your group about what that says. And so what's the denial of that? What does that mean? But as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, we believe what God believes and what Jesus affirmed that God created man and woman. And the next thing is we learn is that marriage was not invented by mankind. God established it. God established marriage and impure sexual thoughts or actions in any other manner is a perversion of God's design. So this isn't God keeping something good from us, like, oh, but I have these desires and thoughts to um, someone that's not my spouse, or I'm not married yet, and somebody, uh, boyfriend or girlfriend, or somebody that's on a screen, maybe I've clicked on something, maybe I, uh, to a prostitute, like, He's saying these are things that are actually damaging and and it doesn't reflect the design that God created. God has a special relationship with humans. That's something undeniable that we see throughout the Bible. God has a special relationship with humans. God has a special relationship with humans as we've talked about. But the next thing is humans were created in the spiritual image of God. Tells us in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, where we get God's name. One of the first names is given is Elohim. And this is a plural version of God. And God is one, but he's also um, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. As we talked about last lesson, we were created to enjoy being with God. Man, you've got to get this. This is so important. This is left out of so many teachings because we learn so many about rules and and God did this and we're supposed to do this and we got to follow him in this way. All that is true, but we can't miss this key point that we were created to enjoy being with God. It's not a burden to be with God. It is our greatest joy. That's why God created all these things, all these pathways, you know, these rules. Um, Jesus is the way, the one path to get to God because it is our greatest joy. God is for you. You've got to get this or you'll completely miss God. You'll completely see him wrong. I want you to look up these scriptures, but I'm going to run through basically what they tell us. Rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 4.4. Delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 37 verse 4. Be glad in the Lord. Psalm 32 verse 11. In your presence there is the fullness of joy. Psalm 16.11. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Psalm 16 verse 5. As a deer pants For the flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. In Psalms 42, 1 and 2. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. In Psalms 143, verse 6. We rejoice in God through our Lord Christ Jesus, through whom we have now received reconciliation, Romans 5.11. The last point is we were created to manage 
the rest of God's creation. Genesis 1.28. There's several questions there if you're going through this with a group. There is so much here, so much to talk about, so much to navigate through and to work through. But man, I just really hope you catch this whole thing, but this last part, you should have this delight, this joy, this passion. You're just in love with God because He wants what is best for you, and that is to be in His presence. That is to be in love with the things that He's in love with. That is to trust that what He's saying is true. So make sure you go through those questions, and I want to just thank you for coming along and joining us. This isn't always going to be an easy process. There's going to be a growing process. We've heard the term growing pains. When you grow, when you stretch, when you go beyond what might be so comfortable. But that's where depth and growth and and real spiritual fruit comes from. And where God's going to do an amazing work in you. And you're going to have that delight in Him. You're going to be so in love with Him. And I hope this is what this calls you to do. And I want to leave you with this. And I hope that you follow God's command to always be prepared for action.